Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. Hello, fellow Creepsters. My name is Ember from Alberta, Canada, and you've tuned into another Sinister Sightings, brought to you by the beautiful, the lovely, the mysterious Donna and Carrie of A Paranormal Chicks. They'll show you how to creep it real. Just listen, and you'll find they're anything but a pair of normal chicks. Love all that you do for us, Creepsters. I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Sinister Sightings 113. And Ember just did our intro. She won a free intro in that giveaway that Carrie was talking about last week. Mm-hmm. And then she called us out on our false advertisement. I think we're quasi-normal-ish. Ish. I mean, that's what quasi means, so. We are that, a payer. Of something. Something. It's punny. <laughs> that's yeah well if you listened last week you heard me say that the way that ember won this intro was that she was on the facebook group and you know we posted an announcement that said we have some people in the creepinati aka patreon who that that's part of their tier that they pay for as part of their well tier <laughs> and they didn't want to do I it bless. so we did a little giveaway. So, you know, you got to be up in the Facebook group to see shit like this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a little plug for the Facebook group. But if you for sure want to introduce an episode and you don't want to wait and see if there's another giveaway, because who knows, head on over to patreon.com slash the APC podcast. All right. The first one. This week, my family was cursed with bad luck. Keep in mind while reading this, this all happened in one week. I'm pretty sure this was July 2018 this all happened. At the time, me and my oldest sister worked for the same gas station chain, just different locations. We were working the same night, and towards the end of our shift, she called me to tell me she was just robbed at gunpoint. So I left my store and went to hers to make sure she was okay. Well, that was just the start. Two days later, I ended up getting robbed at work. The following day, my aunt was in a gas station parking lot, not the one me or my sister worked at, and she was robbed at gunpoint for the money she had just pulled out of the ATM. A day or two after that, my other sister was robbed while delivering pizza. I swear, someone put a curse on my family that week, or something, because that shit was just crazy. As a side note, I was robbed a total of three times while working at that gas station. We also had someone break a window in the middle of the night and stole hundreds of dollars worth of cigarettes. I was moved stores after a while, and at the new store I was moved to, I had some crazy guy that was hallucinating or something that people were following him, and he jumped over the counter towards me, and I actually had to pull a gun on him to get him to leave. All in all, I faced a lot of crazy shit working at a gas station. I love your show and listen to you all the time at work. Thanks for making work fun. Liz T. I think about that all the time for the people who work at gas stations. Yes. You see all kinds of stuff, as we just learned. But holy shit, all of your family was robbed. Like, in a week. 
are y'all one uppers? <laughs> like, I see your robbage and I raise you another. Right? Holy shit. The next one's called Old Bank Building Haunting. Hi, ladies. My name is Amber, and I recently discovered your podcast. And like everyone, I have fallen in love with it and can't wait for opportunities during the day to listen. I love your banter and have discovered that we share a lot of the same opinions on lots of different subjects. I especially love how you aren't afraid to tell it how it is. I love ghost stories in history, but I'm very leery when doing so. Also, the first time I heard you say the words that I live by, never fuck with a Ouija board, I knew this was the show for me. (laughs) I wanted to share the story of a newly haunted bank building I used to work for. Sorry if it's a little long, but I cannot describe enough how old and creepy this building was. I've always lived in southwest Missouri in the Ozark area. I've only seen season one of the Netflix show, but their portrayal of some of the people that live around here is not too far off. In the late 2000s, I got my first big girl job and worked full-time at a local bank. It is so local that there are only a handful of local branches. The building it was in was this huge three-story brick building downtown that was the quote-unquote main branch in our city. It was older, built in the 1910s with pictures of the construction set around the lobby. Our bank had a courier, who we'll call George, changed for respect. George's job was to get the mail, stop by each branch at 2 p.m. to pick up all the transactions made, so that could all be sent to corporate. As you can tell, this was before more technology was prominent in banks, so he was especially important to the operation of our bank. Early on, my job was to fill in where needed. I would work at all the locations filling in for people while they were out on vacation. Sometimes when George was out, I would fill in for him. Let me set the scene of this main building. The first floor was a large stone lobby with an echoing open space. This is where the tellers and account bankers were located. There was a locked door all the way on the back end of the bank that could not be entered from outside. This was the entrance that was used by other businesses who rented space on the second and third floors. So there was this whole separate entrance area that was not accessible from the bank. There's an old stone spiral staircase that led down to the basement area where this massive 1940s walk-in vault was, and that's where all the safety deposit boxes were housed. On the other end of the basement was a hallway that led to a storage area where all the holiday decorations and years past documents, photos, and records were kept. There is a small hallway between the vault area and the storage area, and this is where George's quote-unquote office was located. He had the locked bank bag locations organized, the mail schedule, and all the other duties lined out. But back to that old stone spiral staircase, being an extra-large pizza that I am, shout out, I chose to take the small elevator that went between the ground level and the basement level. This thing was old, but worked perfectly and hardly ever needed maintenance except for the regular oiling of the mechanics. I loved doing George's job. Some days while I waited for 2 p.m. to come along, I would quietly read a book or answer emails if I happened to have any. George was a quiet, polite, older gentleman who did his job well. He had retired from the military, though I'm not sure exactly what branch. He lived alone and, as far as I knew, 
had an ex-wife and possibly a grown child. Anyway, years down the road, a large tornado took out a large chunk of our town. Due to this, a few of our branches were destroyed. With less locations, the updated end-of-the-day cutoff instead of the old-school 2 p.m. cutoff, and the cost-cutting of moving to FedEx for mail, George's job was slowly being chipped away. Our bank president knew this, and he did his best to assign more duties to George so he could stay on full-time. Every day like clockwork, George would come up the elevator at 5.30 p.m., wave and say goodnight to the tellers upstairs, and leave for the day. This was always nice because the lobby closed at 5, but the drive-thru was still open until 5.30. It was nice knowing that he was there while we closed the big empty bank. One day, the bank president came to the lobby and sadly announced that George had died by suicide. (gasps) No one really saw it coming, but sometimes inner demons are not outwardly seen. During the conversion of all the responsibilities, I was assigned to do George's remaining responsibilities for a few weeks. It was quiet in his office, and since not a whole lot of people came in regularly to check their safety deposit boxes, it was slow. A few days into sitting in the basement, going through old paperwork, I heard a loud thud down the hall. My first thought was, dang, I bet I didn't put that box of papers on the shelf as well as I thought. So I went to the storage area. After walking through, I didn't see anything out of place. Thinking nothing of it, I returned to the office. George's office was a small office with no windows due to being in the basement, and this is important to keep in mind. The office had old wooden mail dividers built into one wall, but were all empty now. The door to his office was always kept all the way open, like the door almost touched the wall. I had sat down at the desk, my back to the door to do some computer work. Now, I would like to say that I have always had a healthy respect for the paranormal. While checking some emails, I heard the door bang. That sound when the door is open, but someone smacks the door and makes the knob hit the wall. I swung around, but of course, no one was there. I thought one of the bankers had come down to mess with me, so I got up again, walked through the storage area and the vault area. No one. I went upstairs and chatted with the teller and asked if she had seen anyone go down the stairs or the elevator in the past few minutes. I told her I was worried I missed a customer who might have wanted into their box. She said no had been dead inside the lobby for the last half hour. Since there is absolutely no way a person could get to the elevator or stairs without passing the tellers, I got a chill. I didn't say anything about what happened and thank the teller. I took the elevator back downstairs and went to finish cleaning out a few things. I cannot explain the door bouncing off the wall the way it did. There's no breeze in the basement and the door opened to the room so no one from the outside of the room could have hit it. Regardless of the fact that I was the only one downstairs. After George's passing, we also noticed that every day like clockwork, the elevator opened at 5.30 p.m. Since the lobby closed at 5 and we only had two tellers and one banker closing, there was no one downstairs to send the elevator up. We like to think that it was George waving and leaving for the night. I still think about this, even though it's been years since I worked there. They also sold the building to another local big business, and I wonder if the elevator still opens at 5.30 on the dot. Anyway, love you ladies and creep it real. Poor George. That's sweet to think about 
like him sending the elevator up, you know, like his way of saying, hey, I don't know. But then it's also sad that he's working in the afterlife. If I fucking have to work in the afterlife. (laughs) I don't know. But girl, I don't know how you worked in the basement by yourself sometimes. But isn't that what happened on Beetlejuice when someone died by suicide? They had to work in the afterlife. Was it? Yeah. Remember? She was like, remember she had her wrist cut and she had to work. She had to work as the secretary. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, you know, because we base our um, understanding of the afterlife on Beetlejuice, but. I mean, I see nothing wrong there. You thought I was sarcastic? (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Funny times. That really does break my heart, though. I was literally about to say, I did not see that comment. And then you continue reading and said, nobody saw that comment. I mean, those words almost came out of my mouth. That's so heartbreaking. You really never know someone's struggles. All right. The next one is called True Crime-A-Rama. Hey, y'all. Here is my local true crime roundup. The first story is one that I mentioned on the Facebook page. Picture it. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We say Lancaster, Because we're special like that. December 21st, 1992. We're all gearing up for the holidays. I've got the world's most unfortunate perm (laughs) and glasses the size of coasters. Last year, Lori's show, episode 72, was horrifically murdered by Tabby Buck and Lisa Michelle Lambert. SNL had its last good cast for a while. Bill Clinton got elected... 1992. 25-year-old Christy Merrick was an elementary school teacher in 1992, beloved by her students and her teacher friends alike. She really did have a smile that could light up a room. And seriously, there's a special place for elementary ed teachers because anyone who can wrangle those little chipmunks for days at a time deserves heaven when they die. That's the damn truth. She was petite, beautiful, and well-liked, and on December 21st, she didn't show up for work. The principal of her school came to her house to check on her, because Lancaster, in 1992. That's how we rolled. And he found the horrifying sight of Christy dead on her living room floor, raped and strangled by an unknown assailant. Her family and friends and students were devastated. The police investigated and did their best, but the case went cold. Very, very cold. The family put up billboards and prayed for miracles as her killer eventually walked free for over 25 years. In 2019, this is where the details get fuzzy for me, someone in Raymond Rowe's family took a DNA test for something like Ancestry.com, but not actually Ancestry.com. It connected familial DNA to the DNA found in Christy Merrick's home. Who's Raymond Rowe? Well, locally, he was a DJ. If you were under 60, you knew DJ Freeze. He did weddings, proms, local club shows. He'd been around for years. Heck, one of my classmates was married to him at one point, and another friend's spouse worked super closely with him. While I wouldn't say he was beloved, he was well-known. And it turns out he was a goddamn murderer. He raped, strangled, and murdered Christy Merrick for zero apparent reason. He still doesn't have a rationale for why he did it. Mercifully, he pled guilty and saved us the cost of a trial. But 
it goes to show you that you truly never know someone. For a relatively rural county, we got a lot of jacked up crimes. Laurie Show in 1991, Christy Murick in 1992, Jonathan Luna in 2003, the fucked up assholes that shot a bunch of defenseless Amish girls at Nickel Mines in 2005, a teenager beat six members of his family to death in 2006, Alex Crater killed three members of the Haynes family in 2007, in 2015, two teenage boys beat a sixth grade teacher to death in her home as they tried to rob her. Michael Rossborough stabbed his wife to death by their pool in 2008. Tony Sharpless disappeared in 2009. And of course, Linda Stolzfus is missing and presumed dead. An Amish girl who disappeared in June 2020. Seriously, there's something bad in the water here. Anyway, hope those lead you down some interesting rabbit holes. Creep it real, ladies. Elisa. Woo! Golly. Also, I surely hope that I did not screw up any of those names. I mean, I'm sure I did, but I hope I didn't. Well, that just kind of goes hand in hand with you talking about the banker, George, and how you don't know what people are going through. Yes. You don't know what people are capable of. So true. Especially when they're backed into a corner, but I mean, that is totally different because yeah, that was fucking random as shit, and I don't know what got into him, but... Right. But especially when they're backed into a corner. Mm-hmm. Holy camoly, though. Can you imagine being her principal, like, just going to look for your coworker, nope. like, your employee? Being like, man, is she sick? Is she okay? And it's like, well... Oh, my gosh. You know, and it's like, do you, do you ever get over that? Probably not. Well, you didn't even give me a chance to answer. Well, it was rhetorical. (laughs) Why did you answer? Because it wasn't for me. (laughs) God bless. (laughs) Okay, the next one. True crime? Question mark. You ask for let's not meet type stories in Sinister Sightings, episode 13. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Good morning to my favorite ladies. Although chances are you probably won't read this in the morning, but at this point in time, it's morning still. 7.40 a.m. at the time I'm writing this. God, that's early. Mm-hmm. How's your brain work that early? I know I'm far behind, but I'm trying to catch up. I've also listened to some of the more recent episodes as well, since my son and I like to listen to you in the car, and when we ask Alexa to play, she just plays the most recent episodes, hence why we're kind of all over the place. But Donna, in this episode, I know it's pretty far back, so you probably don't remember asking, and I don't think I mentioned this in my last email, but I thought, well, this story fits the let's not meet type request. This happened to me long ago. Saying that makes me feel so old. But it happened in the spring slash summer that I was 12, so like 1991-ish. You know when you have these stories you hope to never run into the other party ever again? However, this was not the case this time. So let's just say that I didn't have just one run-in with a person, but two and another friend who had one. So I'll set up the first story. When I was in sixth grade, I had a good friend. We'll call her Lily, since I'm not sure she would want her name used. Lily had or has a twin brother. Saying had makes me feel like he's passed away, but he's still alive and like his sister, I've kept in touch with them over the years, and we're still friends. I know. I was like, hopefully she still has. (laughs) Right? 
Well, that day we had decided to go to the park, which wasn't far from our houses, maybe a five to 10 minute walk, if even that. And the boys, Lily's brother, let's call him Landon, and another friend of ours, Nick, decided that while we were walking, they wanted to ride their bikes there. We were all a really close group. It didn't matter that we were girls and they were boys. We just all hung out together and played like kids do. I think, though, if it hadn't been for the twins, there wouldn't be quite the mixing of the sexes. We all probably would have done our own thing. Well, that day, I don't remember what we were doing at the park, but I do remember that as we were getting ready to leave, the boys were riding around us as we were walking. That I looked over, since there were some small hills-type mounds, since they were kind of man-made and not really huge. We had decided that we were going to go back to the twins' house. I think it's just easier to refer to Lily and her brother this way for the story, at least. The boys were like, well, we'll see you there, and we'll probably stop at the gas station and grab snacks and candies, and we'll meet you there. I want to join. Same. Candy. Mm. (laughs) I had been on a Three Musketeers kick lately. I thought a Milky Way. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Both equally as gross. Get out of my house. Actually, that's not true. Three Musketeers, way worse. Like, disgusting. Milky Way, I'll eat, but it needs crunch. Mm. Get out of my house. (laughs) Okay. While this conversation was happening, I remember looking, like I said, down from across the hills that we were walking down. And I saw this man who was staring at us. You know, at first, I didn't really think anything of it. But then I noticed that when we would walk, he would walk as well. But from the other side of the park. And you know, when you're young and you don't really think anything of it, but he started walking and getting closer toward the direction that we were. And the fact that every time we stopped, he would. I grabbed Lily's attention since the boys had basically left us at that point and pointed out the car without actually pointing him out, asking if she had noticed him. He reached the parking lot before we did and got into his car. I remember the car distinctly, which comes up again in both of my next stories. We had stopped and we were just talking for a moment, trying to decide what we wanted to do and what our plan was once we returned to the twins' home. We probably stood there five to ten minutes. You would think that this man who went to the parking lot and got into his car would have left, but he just sat there. When we made it to the parking lot, finally I could see him start his car, start to pull out as we were walking. He was driving behind us ever so slowly, which really started to make us both very uncomfortable. We made a plan that we would cut through our neighborhood, taking a very long detour since the twins lived off a pretty busy road. And since we weren't in too much of a hurry to get home and the boys were long since gone, we made it to the crosswalk and where the little gas station was on the corner while the twins' house was straight down to the right of the gas station. But we headed straight instead because it would give us the cover of the neighborhood. And once we made it across the street, we started running towards the entrance of the neighborhood and looking for places we would be able to hide. Needless to say, that man attempted to follow us into the neighborhood. Thank God, though, that there was a light at the intersection and he just missed it. So we had a bit of a start. We went and hid in a neighbor's yard that we knew wouldn't mind if he found us there, But he wasn't home, so we just snuck and hid in his bushes. We ended up staying there almost an hour, because from where we were, you could see out, but you couldn't thankfully see us. 
We watched that man drive up and down the street probably 10 to 15 times while we were covered in the bushes hoping and praying he would go away. Obviously, we were finally able to make it out, ran home and told her mother who called the police, but it being a different time, not much could be done about that. They just took the report and said they would keep an eye out. About three weeks later, most of the girls who grew up played softball in the spring. And those who didn't would still come hang out, watch, and support friends. Plus, there's an amazing snack shack with great food and cute boys that manned it. We were 12. Boys were starting to become life. Well, one time, our friend, let's call her Alex, came to watch the games and hang out. And we decided that we all should hang out and have a sleepover. So Alex was like, I'll go home, get my stuff so I can meet you back up after the game is over. The game was at the same park where the previous incident had happened. Well, she made it out of the park and was walking down the street away from the gas station on the corner. And as she was walking, a car passed her, then flipped around and pulled up to her. You got it. It was a creepy man in the little red car. He pulled up, rolled down his window and asked if she needed a ride since he said she looked like she was lost. She told him no thank you and continued walking on the street. She continued to walk and he continued to drive next to her, trying to get her into his car. She said that she was starting to panic because it dawned on her that this was probably the same guy who had basically followed Lily and I previously when we talked about how scary it was. At that point, she started to walk faster and she said that she had made a plan that she would just go to my house. At the time, I lived on a dead end with not many houses. Our house in particular had this little grove of trees next to it that felt almost like a forest when we were young. We pretended that it was a forest. So when she got to our street, she pretended that she was walking that way and crossed again with the man following her. Well, when she made it to the opposite side of the sidewalk, across the guy had pulled ahead of her to a stop. Hmm. Well, she turned around and ran down the street towards my parents' house, hoping that because he was stopped and would have to flip around in his car to follow her, she would have time to get to my house and be able to hide. She said that she was able to make it to my house, which was like the fourth one down, but many of my neighbors had very elaborate yards with trees and bushes and plenty of places to hide that she said she saw him creep down the street in his car and drive very slowly, stopping in front of each property and looking around, but he didn't quite make it to our house because our neighbor had come out to mow his lawn and bring his garbage cans out. The man ended up driving very quickly at that point. This is the last part, I promise. I feel like it's super long and maybe not quite exciting. So this happened in the summer, whereas those earlier incidents were in the early spring. At the time, I had cousins who lived about two miles away. My aunt would let them ride over to our house, but my mom always felt that it was kind of far and we weren't old enough. We being my sister and I. Should add that I was the oldest kid in this equation at 12. My cousin was 11, her other sister that was with us that day, 8, and my sister had just turned 8 as well. Well, we lived on the other side of both sets of railroad tracks, and my mom would let us meet them at the first set of tracks, which was halfway depending on how you looked at it. To the side of the railroad tracks was an industrial area where there were warehouses and a hostess bakery outlet store. And beyond that was a neighborhood. There was a road that followed the second set of tracks past the industrial area where the warehouses were. And then there was also an auto body shop and some more warehouses. 
My aunt always felt that wasn't a safe area, so their kids had to take an extra long route to get to our house. Well, that day, like I said, there were four of us. As we met up, these were pre-cell phone days, so you depended on people showing up at the exact time that you were supposed to show up. As we started our walk and we were coming up to the row of where the warehouses and the hostess store was, wouldn't you know that little red car pulled up ahead of us and stopped. I looked at my cousins and I told them, I don't have time to explain, but you have to trust me. We have to run now. We have to find somewhere to hide. And I think they were a little skeptical at first, but I said, I've seen that car. It's followed me. It's followed some of my friends. Encourage the one friend to try and take a ride. It gives me a bad feeling. We have to run. So we all started running and we started running toward the warehouses, hoping that we could find somewhere to hide. The hostess store was actually closed this day. I remember it was a random day and Sundays it was closed. We came across a loading dock. As I looked down into it, since it dipped down so that the back of the semi would be level with the dock, there was a small open area under the dock and gathered everyone and sent them into that hole. Now it's like, I will watch from here. You guys stay back where you can't be seen. Just seconds after I had everyone hidden and quiet, I could see the little red car drive up around the top, praying that it wouldn't get close enough to see where we were hiding. And then he drove off and pulled around the other side. I could see him get out that side. Knowing that from that side, you wouldn't be able to see the little cave area under the dock. I made us sit there for about 10 to 15 minutes after he left, just in case he was still waiting for us. When we emerged, I told everyone we were taking the quickest shortest route to your house, and we were going this way instead of backtracking to the neighborhood. My cousins were like, my mom doesn't feel safe with us going this way. And I told them, I believe this one time she'd be okay. I just feel that this would honestly be safer and faster right now. Thankfully, I never, after this situation, saw that man or his little red car again. Though every once in a while, He does haunt my dreams, and I have to make sure to tell my son about these situations and how you always have to be aware of your surroundings and the people around you. And if you ever have a bad feeling, to run away and get out of that situation. But whenever I listen to Let's Not Meet, I always think about that creepy man and how I pray that even now we will never meet again. Thanks for letting me share. Sorry it was so long, Corey. P.S. I'm still laughing about Donna's comment in the Facebook group where she talked about licking someone's husband's ass. Well, that sounds about right. Oh, it was supposed to say kick, but the lick was just the most amazing autocorrect. Thanks for the laughs, ladies. Really appreciate you. Um, That's just what her phone's used to autocorrecting. I mean, you're not wrong. It did actually do that tonight. I mean, your phone does learn you. That it do. I'm so glad that you noticed whenever you were with your cousin so that you could be like, let's go. Yes. Yes. But that's also so scary because it's like how many kids didn't know about that car? It's very reminiscent of the Atlanta murders, like Mm. how all the boys knew about the car. Yeah. You know, man, that's so scary. It's so scary and so sad to think that, you know, as a child, you had to be so on guard with that. But yet you can hear the childlike reasoning with her cousins because they were like, but our parents don't like us to go this way. And it's right. like, yeah, but 
that small piece, this guy going to kidnap us. Yeah. You know, and it's like so concrete. So like, but we're not supposed to go this way, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. The next one is true crime mixed with a little paranormal. Hi, ladies. I want to start off by saying that I hope you're both doing well and staying creepy. I know it's been a minute since I sent my first stories, but this year has not been so good to me. Long story short, I have three less family members on this side of the veil due to this horrible virus. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, gosh. But my story is not about that. It's about Sacramento's own Dorothea Puente. Oh, my gosh. I literally am researching her. Good to know. I was going to say, spoiler alert. Good to know. I don't know if I said in any of my previous stories I have sent in, but I have somewhat of a sensitivity to energies or spirits, and thanks to the spirit who also lives in my house, I have a permanent spiritual guardian. This guardian helps me in everyday life. Well, let me get back to the story. I'll bring you back to September 23rd, 2019. I was sitting in the family room of my home with a good friend of mine. We were watching a documentary about Dorothea, and I was telling her that I know the new owners of the house, and that they told me that if I ever wanted to come and investigate there, to just give them a call. I fancy myself an amateur ghost hunter, and a short side note, as a project in high school in 2009, we had to create a fake business plan and everything. Of course, me and my brilliant mind created a ghost hunting business, complete with a logo, mission statement, employee handbook, and business cards. Somehow, my business cards got placed on a small business wall at our local corner store sometime in 2016. The owners called my cell. Thank gloss, I have the same cell number as I did in high school, thinking that my made-up business was a real thing. That was the beginning of our friendship. Anyway, we decided we should go there and see if we could find something, so I called them and asked if we could come and investigate. They said anytime was fine with them, so we decided on the weekend before Halloween. So now it's Saturday, October 26, 2019. My friend, we'll call her Kat, and I pull up in her car to the house at 1426 F Street. As soon as we pulled into the driveway, I heard my spirit guide say that she did not have a good feeling about this place and that she did not want me to step foot in the house. But my hard-headed ass just ignored her and said in my head to her that I would be fine and not to worry. Kat, being her super religious self, always had a rosary hanging from her rearview mirror. She took the rosary off the mirror and put it over her head and made the sign of the cross as she recited a prayer. I have no idea what she was saying. I'm not the most religious person, so I just let her do her thing, saying a silent prayer. When she got out of the car, I followed We went up to the front door, and before I could knock, the woman of the house opened the door and greeted us. She's a very nice lady and always makes me feel so comfortable. This is not the first time coming to the house and definitely was not my last. But for some reason, this time, everything just felt different. I entered and introduced my friend as we walked into the kitchen to sit and talk a little before the owners left for the weekend. The stipulation for allowing us to come and investigate was we had to watch over the house while they left for a few days on an impromptu vacation. As they were leaving, Kat decided we should chill out and watch a bit of TV before bringing in all of our stuff from the car. So we sat down on the couch and started watching Travel Channel. We watched whatever's on at the time for a few hours, and then what comes on but Ghost Adventures episode they filmed here at the house. 
We swear on our graves that we felt the house shake, like it was getting ready for the craziness that was about to take place. By this time, it's probably seven or so and just about dusk, so we decide to go out and bring in all of our stuff for the next few days before dark. As I'm walking down the stairs to the car, I felt a push from behind. Not a slight shove, but like a push, hard enough to feel each individual finger on my back kind of push. I have a death grip on the handrail as to not fall flat on my face down the steps, and I know there is no one behind me because Kat is ahead of me a few steps, and there's no one else around. That was the beginning of my terrifying night at that house. We started to investigate as we brought our stuff in the house, and I'm telling Kat what just happened. I have my digital recorder going, and Kat has a K2 meter turned on. We started at the porch and decided to do a perimeter check on the outside of the house before moving inside. So we placed our bags inside the door and moved around the porch. Nothing too exciting happening outside except for a stray cat kept running at us. But this particular cat does this to everyone, so I didn't think anything of it. I put food in his dish and he left us alone for the rest of the night. Then we moved inside We went through the back door, so we moved through the house to the front to grab our bags and bring them to the guest room. They were gone. We thought someone had snatched them as we were in the backyard, so we were getting ready to freak out when I saw my bag on the floor in the hallway. It looked like someone threw it and left it where it landed. Me being me yelled out whoever threw our stuff that it wasn't cool and what if I had breakables in there. At this point, Kat was on edge and me yelling at something or someone was putting her over her limit of spooky tolerance. Kat started saying she wasn't going to sleep by herself and that she wanted to stay with me. I said that was fine and not to worry. I had been in the house plenty of times and nothing even remotely harmful ever happened. Mind you, all the while this is taking place, Ghost Adventures is still in the background talking about this house. After our bags were thrown, we kind of wanted to rest for a bit before asking anything else of whatever was with us. We sat together on the couch just talking and gossiping about people we knew. I don't know how we started talking about her, but we were talking about Dorothea and her life, and I played for Kat the chapter of my audiobook, The Big Book of Serial Killers by Jack Rosewood and Rebecca Lowe about her. This is when, again, I felt like someone was pushing on my shoulder. Then I felt a sharp pain in my neck. Kat looked and I had three parallel scratches at the nape of my neck. I did not do this to myself as at the time I had short nails and both of my hands were in front of me and I never touched my neck. We decided to tell whoever it was that they can do anything to get our attention besides touch us. Well, that didn't go very well. I needed to go to the bathroom shortly after that, so I got up and headed that way. As I passed what used to be her, quote, killing room, I saw a black mass next to the closet. It didn't register in my brain until I was sitting on the toilet mid-pee, so I yelled to Kat to get the camera ready and come with me to the room. Finished up quickly and did a quick hand wash as I wanted to capture whatever was in that room. I ran down the hall, and as I got to the doorway, I felt a hand reach out and grab my arm from the next room. I felt like it was behind and to the left of me near the doorway to the next room. I tried to ignore this feeling and enter the room, but I couldn't move any farther. Kat was already in the room, snapping pictures with her phone and recording with her camera. 
As she turned from the closet to the doorway to ask me a question, she was shoved from behind into the doorframe of the closet. I watched her go shoulder first into the doorframe and screamed at the energy to leave her alone. As soon as those words left my mouth, I felt what should have been someone running up to where I stood in the doorway and stopped mere millimeters from my face. I could feel the breath of whatever was there. I said in a very shaky voice to again, leave her alone and deal with me. As I said this, I felt two hands on my chest, shoving me back against the hallway wall. I just kept telling them they couldn't hurt me and to leave us alone. It was a strange feeling. I felt their hands on my chest and felt hitting on the wall, but I didn't feel any pain. Then I heard my guardian tell me to say something I didn't know what it meant until the next day when Kat looked it up. She told me to say, in the name of the Savior, I banish you in Old Latin. But uh, she actually sent it in Old Latin, but I'm going to screw that up, so uh, I'm just going to tell you what it said. I was pinned to the wall for a few more seconds, what felt like minutes, but then the slight pressure released from my body and Kat was able to get back to her feet. We very quickly decided to call it a night and sit on the couch and watch Disney Channel until the sun came up. We dozed off at some point because we woke up to the TV still on and the sun just beginning to rise and shine through the window. The house was back to feeling comfortable and welcoming. We ate breakfast and spoke about the events from the night before like they were a distant memory, even though we both had bruises from this event and we promised each other to never go in that room again. My guide was back to being right by my side, speaking to me in hushed tones as always, and I felt like everything was better. The next two days were beautiful, and we even got to finish our investigation with more lighthearted events like footsteps in parts of the house and doors opening and shutting by themselves, but nothing as violent as the first night. We spent our days doing research on other serial killers that made Sacramento and surrounding areas their home. And as the night fell, we began to switch to investigating the house and the spirits that stayed in the home. Sorry for such a long one. I'm not really good at putting this story on paper, as they say. I just know what I felt that night was definitely a negative energy that did not like us saying anything negative about Dorothea or the events that took place on that property. I still ghost hunt on occasion by exploring old abandoned factories and such on my free time now since I can't really go places populated by living in the times we're dealing with now. I mostly go by myself on these adventures these days since all my friends think I'm crazy for wanting to go to old, dirty, musty places where you have to wear a respirator to breathe in order to not get black lung or some other unknown disease. Hope this message finds you well. As always, creep it real and don't get scared. Hillary R. You saying that about the the spirit running and stopping right before it got to you? Oh my god, that was like that's intense. Mm-hmm. That's a conjuring style, like freaking. Uh, oh god. yes. And what the hell would you have done if you didn't have that fucking spirit guy to tell you what to say? Right? You'd have been fucked. Poor cat. She's just over there with her rosary, like God, Jesus. Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Well, tell us more of your adventures and stuff. Okay, the next one, Sinister Sightings. Ooh, spooky month, because we're in October now. Hey, ladies, my name is Bailey, and I've been binge listening for a few months now and figured it was time to share a story. My first story is a true crime one. 
It's July of 2015, and I'm in between my junior and senior years of high school. I'm working a housekeeping job at a local hotel. Anyways, this is a tiny area in northern New Hampshire. Think regional area schools and moose. So naturally, when a traveling circus started advertising, people were interested. This was scheduled to be your typical big top circus experience, and it's being held at our nearby fairgrounds. So the day comes and I'm off to work. My mom bought tickets for the three of us and we plan to go for the first evening showing. As the day goes on, I realize that I only have an hour between leaving work and the start of the show. Now, this is doable. I would have had time to go home, shower, and we could have all driven. But my mom said, well, there are tickets for today. We can go to the second showing. That way we don't feel rushed. Well, basically, the tent collapsed during the first showing. A big storm blew in and about 100 people were trapped inside and two people died. Reportedly, the performers didn't have all or any of the permits to put on the show. But in that case, I don't know how they were able to set up. Anyways, it's just eerie to think about what could have happened to my family and I if we decided to rush. Gosh. My second story. So I'm maybe about 9 or 10 and sleeping peacefully in bed one night. I wake up because I can hear something is not right. So I'm laying there and all of a sudden, something dive bombs my face, terrified immediately. Then I hear the same noise that woke me up. At this point, my eyes have adjusted a bit and I'm able to see that something is repeatedly flying into my guitar strings. I put it all together and realize it's a bat, not a demon. Not necessarily less scary, And I run to my mom's room. She basically blows me off and says, there's not a bat in your room. Go back to bed. So I go back to bed and hide under the covers while this bat terrorizes me. The next night, I wake up again and hear some strange noises coming from downstairs. I go down there and my mom and stepdad are in the pitch black living room throwing blankets all over the place because they saw the bat. Karma! I found the poor guy the next morning, and we released him back outside. Anyway, thanks for reading. You ladies crack me up. Creep it real and don't get scared, Bailey. That show Hometown on HGTV, there's an episode where they find this, like, I don't know, bat's nest. That's not what it's called. But, like, infestation in this house, and they have to bring these. I think it was on Hometown. Maybe on a fixer upper. It was bees. No. Oh. No. They have to bring these this expert in to get the the bats out because they're endangered. Ooh. Because you can't just, like, let them out. You have to, it's, like, a very special way to get them out and trap them and all the things. Huh. There was also an episode, though, that they had bees in the wall and they had, like, honey. Yeah. And yeah, stuff. they got to keep the honey. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. There was a... Ooh, that's why I say it may not have been hometown. It may have been another... It may have been, like, Fixer Upper or something. That it was something, one of those shows, yeah. though. But it was bats. It was a shit ton of them. Freaking bats. Oh, and you know what? After COVID, like, it's always scary going to those big events like that. And then now, after COVID, it's going to be really hard. Yeah. To go back to big events. Yeah. Also, back in the day when we had, like, dial-up, we lived in the city, city part. Limits. Yeah, the city limits. But, like, right in front of the police department, okay? 
like right in the downtown area, our internet was like super slow, wouldn't work, all this shit. So my mom called, got someone to come out there, and it was because of bat poop in the outlet and stuff outside. Ew. Yeah, I was like, bat poop? Like, what? How you how you know it's bat poop and not bird poop? I don't know. Ugh. Anyway, but I was like, bat poop. That freaked me out. Huh. All right, the next one is called Sinister or Coincidence. Hey, ladies. First off, my partner and I just found your podcast a few months ago, and we love you guys. You two crack us up and put light in dark stories. We love true crime and paranormal, but too much of it can definitely take a toll on emotions. So listening to you guys makes it so much better with the in-between laughs. We have a story for you that you can decide. Is it sinister or coincidence? There's a legend in Jasper, Indiana that says sinister things can happen in the town church at night. The story says that if you drive near the church at night, you will be met by the, quote, enforcer in a white truck. The enforcer is said to run you out of town so you can't reach the church where they're performing their seances and sacrifices. Some have said that if you do get past the enforcer, they have seen animals hanging from trees and balls of light around the cemetery of the church. Call us crazy, but our ghost hunting senses started to tingle. So we decided to check it out in the daylight first before going at night. We took a drive out to Jasper, not expecting what we encountered. This church is out on a curvy country road. As we round the S-curve, we could see across the fields, and we spotted the church we were looking for. As we approach the church, this white jeep passes us going in the other direction. We continue driving and pull into the church parking lot and position our car for an easy exit. I pull out my phone and open my ghost radar to see if we got anything. I look across the fields watching our surroundings. That white jeep that had passed us had stopped and was turning around in the S-curve we had just drove through. So I thought it was weird, but I didn't freak out right away. I just watched him. As he gets out of the curve, he starts speeding down the road towards us. We look at each other and said, maybe we should go. We quickly threw the car in drive and sped out of the church parking lot. We didn't know these roads, and they were still a little slick due to snow, so we turned on the first street we came to in hopes of losing him and hoping that maybe we were just crazy and he wasn't coming for us. We were wrong. He quickly turned to follow us until we got to the main road, and we turned right as he turned left. We laughed and thought, wow, we are crazy. Maybe he just went the wrong way. So we decided to go back to the church. Right at the church was a Y in the road. As we approached this church, on the other side of the Y, I looked to my right side, and the same Jeep was coming back past the church. He spotted us, and quickly stopped, reversed into the church parking lot, and chased us out to the main road again. Because we are dumb, we said, third time's a charm. We went back again. This time, we saw the church had some gravel parking as well off the road. We pulled into this gravel parking facing the Y of the road. We again set the ghost radar out after checking to make sure the Jeep was nowhere in sight. We were there for about two minutes before we see a pickup truck flying down the road straight towards us. He pulls up in front of my car to block me in. 
He pulled so close to us that I had to flip my car in reverse to avoid him slamming the front of my car. An old man jumps out of the truck and walks to my window. I have fully rolled my window up minus a small crack. He asked if we need help. We replied with, no, we're just looking for something in my phone for a second. He stated that he had gotten some calls saying they thought we needed help, so he came to find out. I again replied with, no, we're fine. In the meantime, I'm searching my surroundings to find a way out, and I noticed he left a small space from the front of his truck to the concrete half wall where we parked by. He took a step back and started to say something, and I took that moment to speed through that small space and get out of there. We have not been back to do any ghost hunting since that day. We don't know what's going on in that town or why a white jeep chased us away twice, but we won't go find out again. You decide. Is the enforcer in a white truck real, or was it all a coincidence? Stay safe and creep it real, y'all. Amanda. Holy shit. It sounds like some locals trying to protect their area and using white vehicles to perpetuate it to scare people. You know what I mean? Yeah, that could be it. Like, they're real, and they're like, okay, well, we're going to use a white Jeep and a white truck so we can scare the shit out of you to keep you away from here. Yeah. But also, that's very fucking dangerous. Yes. Not like, well, uh, what you did too, but also what they're doing. Like, speeding up to you like that. Chasing people down winding roads that they don't know after a fucking snow. Like, that's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. My butthole would have puckered when he came to your window. Oh, my gosh. And, I mean, who owns that property would be my question, too. Because it's like, okay, if if you're on the church's property and it's private property, then they can run you off. Mm -hmm. But it's like, so who owns it? And who has the right to tell you to get off of it? Because... You know, it's yeah. not just a parishioner. Like they would have to, they'd have to call. I don't. Well, I don't know. Look at me, pretend like I know the law. But you know what I mean. <laughs> Same. But yeah. Okay. Last one. Hey, ladies. Quick creepy shit. So we moved into our house at the end of January, and it's been amazing, but sometimes creepy. If y'all remember, I asked about smudging the house since after some searching, I found out that the previous homeowner died in my living room. They had transformed the living room into his bedroom for the huge bay windows that we have in there. He was an elderly man and passed there after a fight with cancer, I believe. Well, when we got the keys, I walked in and I talked to Mr. Lemieux and I said, Mr. Lemieux, we bought this house from your daughter Renee as our starter home and we do plan on renovating, but nothing that would make you upset. I don't want any problems. We respect that this was your home and we have no problem living here with you. But if we have problems, I will do what I need to do to clean this house of any presence. You tell him. <laughs> we don't mind a few reminders of you here, but do not scare my kids, please. My husband is a veteran as well, so haunt him if you need to. Or please go talk to your daughter. Thank you. And walk to my happy large pizza ass out. I grew up in a haunted house. Yes, I'll send in those stories. So I'm not playing now. But you would think that's it, right? Insert carries. Well, he hasn't been disruptive at all, but man, he has gotten us a few times and I know he's laughing about it. He slams doors every once in a while and it scares the fuck out of my dad who just moved in our house with my mom for a while. 
and my front door, if it's chilly and he doesn't like the temp, you better bet your ass he will shut that shit. And no, no draft in the house, no cross breeze, nothing. Worst part is I have also seen a child peeking around the corner of my hallway. And this is when my kids were passed the fuck out or not home, you know, middle of the day, or they were at a friend's house or daycare. I've asked it to go away and stop scaring me, and it usually does once asked. After talking to my neighbor, he said he believes his son died in the house too at some point. Duh fuck? Worst part is, I cannot find anything about this anywhere. But I do know that his obit says late son and the house was only left to his daughter as his only living relative. But I need to do more creeping and find out what the fuck happened because I'm not okay with that creepy kid shit. I got two of my own. I don't need anyone else's kids scaring me. Mm-mm. Creep it real, Christina. You need to be like, um, sir, I know we had this conversation when I first moved in, but I didn't know your damn son was here. So I'm going <laughs> to need you to wrangle his ass in, please. Thank right. you. Right. Sincerely annoyed as fuck. Oh, my gosh. Nobody had told me that there was 14 of you motherfuckers up in here. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this shit. Don't make me go buy some smudging shit. <laughs> it just reminds me of like old motel signs that had no vacancy, but like the vacancy still like fully on, but then like the no is flashing. So it looks like there's a vacancy, but then you go in and then it says like no vacancy. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminds me. Like the house said like vacancy and then it was like they entered the door and then the no sign like lit up. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I tricked you. Yeah. And how'd you know we were going to tell you to send those in? Right. <laughs> she knows us. Well, of course, these stories were amazing. Thank y'all so much for sending them in. Keep them coming. Aparanormalchicks at gmail.com. And remember, creep it real and, and don't, don't get, get scared. scared.